Hey there, I'm Andrew Yeager, and this is WBHM Politics. The list of problems facing Alabama's prison system is long. There's overcrowding, aging facilities, there's a federal lawsuit over inadequate mental health care for inmates. In the midst of all that, there are men and women who wake up each day and go to work in Alabama's prisons. Their experiences can sometimes be missed while state leaders and policymakers debate how to address the prison system's issues. Today, we get some perspective on that. Joining us is journalist Tom Gordon. He wrote about corrections officers for a story published by Birmingham Watch and B Metro. Tom, thanks for coming by. Thank you, Andrew. Glad to be here. And also with us is Joe Tu. He's a retired captain in the Department of Corrections. And last year, he came back to the prison system and works part-time at the Donaldson Correctional Facility. Uh, captain Tu, thank you for joining us. Thank you. I want to start with you, Captain Tu, because when we think about prison system, it seems like for those in the public, if they know anything about prisons or think they know anything about prisons, it's because of what they see in the media and movies and television. What does a corrections officer actually do on a day-to-day basis? The biggest thing we do is come to work every day and work. Um, a typical day for us would be just our physical counts to make sure everybody's there. The, all the activities have to be monitored and and we have to have personnel for that. Feeding of the inmates. Uh, we have a strange feeding procedure, not procedure, but a times on it. Just making sure everybody stays safe and responding whatever we have to respond to. I have images in my mind of escorting inmates to and from places or um, correctional officers watching cameras. I mean, is that what you're doing or that part of the job? Uh, some of it, but we don't really have a lot of cameras at our place. Uh, as far as escorting, like today, we would have segregation in the infirmary because we have to lock the hallways down. And yes, we would be escorting you know, five or six inmates handcuffed up the hallway into the infirmary, place them in the infirmary, and take care of it from there. But in general, they just walk around. Uh, in terms of population inmates, we'll walk around to various activities. So those are the, sort of the tasks that you're doing, but give me a sense of kind of what the climate is like. What's the environment like to work in? Because we hear about fewer correctional officers in these prisons, tense conditions. I mean, how would you describe what it's like to work at Donaldson? Frustrating to a certain degree because, as you said, we'll come in, we should have around 43-odd people to work the the shift, in any one shift. We might have 35. Uh, We don't suspend activities. We just try to maneuver and manipulate people around to where we can get it done. Plus, we have other activities we have to do that have to be handled to have the other things happen. It's tedious at best. It's routine. It's mundane. It's boring as heck. But it is what it is. Well, Tom Gordon, you wrote about the experiences of correctional officers. You spent time at Donaldson. And watching this environment, what stuck out to you? I guess what I think about in having visited prisons some in the past and Captain Two, I think, is well aware of this. You go into an environment, and it's a world unto itself. Say if you're a police officer out on the beat, you're out in different places, and there can be days where suddenly something very bad can happen that you have to deal with. On the other hand, you can be in places where people are glad to see you, give you a cup of coffee, maybe a couple of extra donuts and so forth, These people are doing this willingly. They are in their particular environment because they want to be there, and you're doing your job, and they're glad to see you. Uh, Again, as I say, there are exceptions to that, but in the prison environment, you are there, and you are with people who are there because they did something wrong. 
many times they may want to test you, particularly if you're new and starting out. It's not as if the place is on is a tender box. I don't think that Donaldson is that way because my view from talking with Captain Two and some others, as well as some inmates, I think most inmates want things to be relatively calm and manageable. But the notion of the that you're in a confined world and a in a place like Donaldson like a lot of our prisons, is kind of often an area by itself. You go out there in the sense of isolation in a physical way in the surroundings, I think is profound. We've seen a lot of reporting about the issues that the Alabama prison system faces. How do you see those wider issues affecting correctional officers, people in the prisons? To some extent, and this is almost historic, there's always been issues in the state about overpopulation and not enough staffing. What has been happening is we are seeing, while we're seeing a decline in the prison population because of some sentencing reforms and some other things that have taken place in recent years, uh, we're also seeing a decline in the number of correctional officers. The Department of Corrections uh, has put forth some figures that show as the number of officers has been going down, the number of violent incidents in the system has gone up. We're not talking about in the thousands, but any violent incident is one incident too much. Is there a relationship between that? Some people would say yes. Captain Two, I see you're shaking your head. How do you see those wider issues affect how correctional officers have to operate on a day-to-day basis in the prison? We don't have the widespread violence as far as the routine violence, but we do have violence. Uh, most inmates would rather just keep it nice and quiet. That's their home, and they're willing to they like a nice, peaceful nation. But you do, the officers do get kind of worn down, and they are probably a little more quicker to use force than they would be ordinarily. In other words, they won't necessarily take uh, resistance, initial resistance. It's not to say that the force wasn't necessary, but it was probably not the first resort needed to be gone to. You started your career with the Department of Corrections in the early 80s, uh, retired last year, came back. I wonder, how was working say, at Donaldson Prison, changed from when you started versus what it's like now? The department has been cyclical in its uh, manpower levels. We would have uh, numerous officers floating around to respond to codes or or just to be present because many, many, many times you can head off a lot of stuff just by being there, just being a, a, a set of eyes that the inmate don't want you to see. But it goes up and down, and it's gone up and down over time. The only thing that's different so much now is, is we think we've got a whole lot more different activities and that's a lot of lawsuit results. But when I first came in, uh, there was a big downturn in, in jobs and we had a lot of mature individuals coming in. I started when I was 30 uh, and that wasn't unusual for the, them to be used. U.S. steel workers had been laid off or Continental Can workers had been laid off or SIPCO had been laid off and a lot of the older individuals come in when I came in and created careers there. Uh, Now you're getting a lot of younger officers who I don't think they fully appreciate the job itself. And I I attribute that more to the fact they never actually worked a real job. (laughs) But it's been trying at times in terms of dealing with those individuals. Do the demands, the demands on you, are those greater because there are generally fewer staff? 
Well, not to me specifically. I, honestly, I, my main activities even before I retired was uh, uh, writing SOPs. Uh, What's an SOP? A standard operating procedure for the institution. Uh, we do have to com- have standards for it, and, and they do have to comply with uh, ACA accreditation. That's what we're actually going through right now is going through a security audit and trying to get our standards uh, up to the ACA standards, reviewing incident reports and stuff like that. When I was on the hallway, yeah, you would respond to codes. You would try to sort through it. You would do use of force investigations to determine if the force was necessary and reasonable. It's changed a little bit, um, but it's not terrible. <laughs> it's not terrible. No. Uh, Tom Gordon, as part of your reporting, you looked at some of these new recruits, some of these people that were going through training to be correctional officers. Did you see a typical recruit, or what are the types of folks that, that were putting in our prisons to, to watch over inmates? Well, this was a group that I uh, spent some time with at the Correctional Training Academy down in Selma. They were, on the whole, um, I think a fairly young group. I would not say they were you know, wet behind the ears. I think there was some maturity. Some, some of them, I think, were in their, I know were in their 30s. It was a mixed bag. There were, there were a number of women in the ranks. The interesting thing about that there was that though this particular academy had enough slots for 112 cadets, I'll use that term, but they only had 36. And the trainers who were with them um, said they might expect only a handful of them to still be working in corrections after five or six years because given the current salary and benefit structure that exists for correctional officers, there are other opportunities that beckon to them. And I heard some of that sentiment expressed when I was out at Donaldson. So they, at least starting out, earn less than what they could if they were in other law enforcement careers? That's right. I mean, you could just take in our area, for example, uh, you can start out and get a little less than $29,000 as a correctional officer. It's a little higher if you, I think, have got a two-year or four-year degree. But that is a lower starting salary than, say, a Birmingham police officer, a Jefferson County or Shelby County Sheriff's deputy, Homewood police officer, uh, Hoover, for example. And there at Donaldson, and over the past year, there have been a number of folks who have left to take advantage of some of those opportunities. What's your sense, Tom, of how state leaders, state policymakers are looking at that issue of, of recruitment, retention, comparatively lower salaries? Well, from what I know from the Department of Corrections, they have commissioned a study to be done on their manpower needs. I imagine we are going to see the results of that study in the next few weeks or months to where they're going to determine their staffing needs. Now, they've also made some decisions, for example, to close one of, I think, the oldest state prison in existence, Draper Correctional Facility in Elmore County. And there's going to be a reallocation of staff uh, from that facility to others in the system. You can read uh, annual reports from prison commissioners. It doesn't matter. Time and again, they will talk about low staffing. Um, when Kay Ivey, our governor, made the uh, her state of the state speech, she talked about trying to build up or give pay raises to correctional officers. She says, in effect, that um, 
you know, for far too long, we have run our state's prison system in a way that risks a takeover by the federal courts and that uh, corrections professionals are, deserve our attention and support. So I think it has the attention. Now, whether it gets acted on the legislature is always up for grabs. Sure. There's, there's the experience on the political side, and then there's also the experience when you're actually there working within the system. Captain Two, how dangerous is it to work in a prison? It's not as dangerous as people like you to believe, but it is getting more dangerous as time goes on. And I, and I say that because when I first started, was there a potential to be stabbed? Yes, there was. And more times than not, it was just menial duties, uh, extractions from mental health inmates or uh, just violent inmates. But as a general rule, there was an unspoken law between correctional officers and the inmates. They don't touch you and you don't touch them. That's not that way anymore, as has been evidenced by some of the stabbings we have with the officers, the fights we have with the officers. The inmates are younger, with less time, and tend to challenge the officers more. It is probably more dangerous than it was when I started. It, it does give me some concern because, uh, like you say, they, they will get together a lot of times, and, and the more inmates you have together, the more likely they are to start something up. You, know, you mentioned stabbings. I believe it was in 2016 we had an officer who, who died after being stabbed at a prison in South Alabama. What does that do to the morale of folks who work in the prison system? And I guess what's the chatter when you have an incident like that happen? What the chatter is more times than not is, uh, is not so much the, what created the incident but how the upper echelon folks respond to it. Uh, for instance, was the day that... Um, and it's obviously way back when, but the day that Will Donaldson died. Uh, these rank and file were pretty upset about it. They were upset, obviously, because now the realism of the job comes to them. I could get killed doing this job. Uh, but it really made them mad the way that the uh, warden responded to it. Uh, things just went as usual, and, and we felt like that was not the right tone to take at that time. When Officer Donaldson was killed. It was a fairly routine activity that he was involved in, and I think we know that Donaldson is named after him. But well, Bill was killed. He was working segregation at the time. We was actually just passing out medication because of the way the institution was initially constructed. Uh, we had the big sliding doors with little uh, windows in them, but we didn't have tray doors, and so you had to crack the door to pass out the pills. They cracked the door to pass out the pills. I. I believe there was an exchange between the inmate, the inmate, and uh, the officer. Uh, he threw the pills out or something to that effect. Uh, Bill thought he saw something or something along those lines, and, and we closed the door and removed the uh, nurse from the unit and went up with two officers to, to see what he had. And as soon as we popped the door open, a car stabbed Bill. He didn't actually realize he was stabbed. He actually cuffed the inmate before he, got, uh, before it, uh, he, he collapsed. How do you cope in an environment like that? Because I mean, this is a job that's a little more stressful than other jobs. The biggest thing, know where you're at and be very, very careful. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and another thing, too, is, uh, is a lot of times how you respond to people. And it's, you know, inmates are still people. And so you can be gruff with them, but you're really not, you're, you're making an enemy you don't need. I'm not going to make a friend of an inmate, but I'm not going to alienate him just to be alienating him because I don't want to talk to him right then. Give him an answer. Be fair with everybody. 
Uh, and more times than not, you'll get a, you'll get that kind of response back. They'll respect that. If you don't know, say I don't know, and and that's acceptable to them. Um, they would rather you help them, but if you can't, you can't. <laughs> Tom, clearly a, a wide array of issues that face the Alabama prison system. But when it comes to uh, recruitment, the the working conditions for correctional employees, are there easy solutions or or a consensus that seems to be forming about? ways to address that part of uh, the prison system? It is complex. Uh, the notion about understaffing pay and benefits, and as I say, you can go back historically, uh, back decades and hear, see court hearings about this, annual reports filed by the system about this. I think there's a feeling if you d- we don't up the pay and the benefits that we're going to lose quality people. It's just a matter of time. Another thing that is happening, and, and again, this could be subject to change, If, the, but uh, you can go out to Donaldson today and there'll be some officers who will be working overtime, probably putting in 12 hours. Some of them may be putting in 16 hours because there's a need for staffing. On weekends, they're at a prison like Bibb correctional facility just south of here, there is, will be a surge, or has been in recent weekends, a surge of officers from other places to help with staffing over the weekend because there's a shortage. These are measures that have been designed to try to address a problem. They may be continuing. Now, Governor Ivey seems to indicate that she wants to give state employees a raise, and state employees have not been, not had a raise in a while. There's not been a cost of living, a COLA, for a number of years, and I think Captain Two shaking his head in agreement. It always boils down seemingly to money. As Senator Cam Ward from Alabaster, who's one of the Senate's experts on the prison system, said, it's, it's just not a popular thing to want to give a lot of resources to prisons. There are probably a great many people who think that our prisons are air-conditioned and that prisoners have all these great creature comforts. And I think, again, Captain Two knows that a place like Donaldson, except for a few clinics here and there, there's no air conditioning out there. Well, as, as we wrap up this conversation, Captain Two, what would you say to either the public or, or even people who are in leadership in the state, what do you want them to understand about someone who walks the halls of Donaldson or, or the experience of someone who works in the prison system at a lower level? We're all trying to feed our families. We all want to come home safe. Yes, we took the job. We knew it was a risk when we took it. Uh, we try to minimize risk as much as possible. But we're still taxpaying people just like everybody else and, and want to be treated the same. And, and, and a lot of time when the public looks at the, we don't want to put more money in prisons, they're looking at inmates. Generally, that's not where the money's going. It's going to an infrastructure and the employees and that's what they need to be thinking about when they start talking about that. We're trying to keep the public safe. That is our number one priority. And we do our best to do that every way we can, to keep ourselves safe and keep them safe too. How hopeful are you that in the coming months to year or two we'll see significant change that will be felt by folks who work in the prison system? I have to reserve that opinion. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, t- well Tom, um, you know, you've observed this. How optimistic are you? Well, I think that to some extent the reforms that have been put in place by a commission that 
was headed by Senator Ward. I mean, some of those reforms, I think it was a tough, that was a tough slog. But they're having some impact and I think already reducing the population. So having seen some of that, maybe I'm guardedly optimistic that for correctional officers and state employees as a whole, there'll be an increase in pay and benefits. Uh, the prison system sure certainly touts that. They say they're guaranteed. I think they'd like to guarantee them at a higher level than they currently can. That's Tom Gordon. He wrote about corrections officers for a story published by Birmingham Watch and B Metro. Tom, thanks for coming by. Glad to be here, Andrew. And we've also heard from Captain Joe Two. He is a retired captain from the Department of Corrections, but now works part-time at the Donaldson Correctional Facility. Captain Two, uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for the opportunity. And that's it for this edition of WBHM Politics. The show was produced by Gigi Duban and myself. Our theme song is by local Birmingham guitarist Eric Essex, and it's called Find Your Way. Let us know what you think. Send us a message through the WBHM Facebook page or tweet at us. We're at WBHM, or you can use the hashtag WBHM Politics. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, write a review. I'm Andrew Yeager. Thanks for listening.